welcome to episode 67 of where we hope of penny red my name is daniel hodges my name is sean hayworth and uh yes sean is not a guest he is going to co-present with me when he's available to do so so um first of all i just thanks very much to everybody who uh tuned into last week's episode which was uh with uh, jackson tegu and anybody who supported his uh, kickstarter he's passed his first his like his he's met his uh, minimum uh requirement and he's also hit his first stretch goal and i think that today or maybe tomorrow he's revealing the next couple of uh, the last couple of skins um so yeah so go ahead to uh to kickstarter.com and check out monster hearts second skins to find out some more information about that um so uh what have you been up to this last uh well two weeks ago it was sean we've, we've got one that we've salted away for another day but uh over the last week or two weeks since people heard from me what's been going on oh man just uh just uh work mostly work and and child care has been uh has been the, the things i have been doing uh then that's pretty much I think it. that child doesn't child care count as work though could you just, just uh, say work it does chasing a two-year-old is uh it's an awful lot of work it is it's also a crime in some countries that that is true <laughs> mind that you if it's true. I think it's allowable it's, yeah it's it's okay if it's yours don't chase other people's it's right yeah have you been watching that uh, stuff on the um on the new all that stuff about that stuff uh how many times can I say stuff in one sentence? Um, the protest in Turkey, they didn't want a park closed. And so they sort of hung out there and said, don't close our park. And then and then two days later, there's like tear gas everywhere. There are pictures of, pe- pictures of people with bloodied heads and people being attacked with uh, with submachine guns and so on and so forth all over a park. I mean, crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And I haven't paid that close attention to it. There was... Like it, it was one of those things where I, I pop open my Twitter client because I'm an unabashed Twitter addict. I'm just like rah, 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 always looking through the, the feed. Right, right. Uh, and like I can't remember what day was it. Was it Thursday? Uh, well, it's, I was just reading. I was just reading about um, the latest. Um, it said 96 hours was when the peaceful protest started. So I think that the trouble started probably like, you know, like you say, about a day or so ago, right? Yeah. So uh, so I, I pick it up and, and I see something about massive protests in Turkey. And I, I didn't, I, I was just kind of like, huh, that's interesting. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't kind of at the forefront of, of my consciousness. I had other mm. stuff going on. Uh, and then... The next thing I saw was oh, government shutting down access to Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's weird because I'm wondering if that's wrapped up with the quote-unquote Arab Spring because Turkey shares a border with Syria, right? Um, as well, so I assumed that it was somehow associated with that. But it appears that at least on the face of it, it's not. But you know, that's um, I don't know if it's people sort of. I mean, they're every saying the police are bad, um, but. Um, I don't know anywhere near enough about it. My concern is that there are some opportunists involved somewhere that are trying to somehow link it in with the with the trouble that's going on in Syria and this. Because um, even though I think the majority of people in Turkey are um, Muslim, I think it's uh, it's a, a secular a secular government, like it's not a, a theocracy. So I don't know how that whole thing goes in together, but I wouldn't like to to think that. You know, there are some uh, opportunists in there somewhere causing some trouble. But it's it's kind of funny. Uh, I uh, 
So I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Brian Brushwood and his, uh, and the stuff he does. Uh, I'm not. Tell me about Brian Brushwood. Uh, so Brian Brushwood is a, a magician and a professional fire eater. Uh, but uh, he does several shows on Leo Laporte's Twit Network. Right. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he's got a lot of fans because he also does a show called Scam School for Revision 3, which teaches like really simple, easy to learn uh, magic tricks and little puzzles and stuff that you can use to, right. to get free drinks at bars uh, because you right. can fake out drunk people. Right. Uh, but he has a, a bunch of fans in Turkey and he, he'd gone uh and and done uh either a show or some lecturing out there uh this is all on on uh he uh he and his uh his friend justin have a, a comedy album out and and he related this story on there uh but uh he had come home uh and he had some some turkish money uh mm-hmm. and he was making fun of the fact that that the uh the uh the art on the on the front whoever it was uh, looked an awful lot like like depictions of Dracula, uh, right. and, and so he was kind of making fun of, like you know, taking pictures and putting it on Twitter and, mm-hmm. and making jokes about it. And then he would get uh, messages from Turkish fans that were like, uh, "Yeah, take that down, take that down right now because we really like watching you." But if you make fun of you know the Turkish government, they will shut down. Like they will, they will. Oh, right. Oh, was right? Yeah. And, and oh. all of this stuff. So right. it may be secular, but it sounds pretty, uh, pretty harsh. Yeah. Uh, and, and granted, I don't live in Turkey and my mm. perception of harsh is probably uh, unrealistic, you know, living in the United mm. States as I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think but, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, if, I think any country that will shut down free speech, whether it's free speech from their own citizens or from elsewhere, um, there's, I mean, it's that suspect, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, there are certain things which don't belong on, uh, on the internet, full stop, child pornography for starters. But if we're talking about opinion and jokes and stuff like that. And I'm not even talking about jokes about pedophilia because again, that's also not right. But um, any country that's prepared to, to do that, I think that, you know, like I say, that's probably not a place that I want to live. I mean, it's easy for me to say, like you say, I live in Canada, so I've got, um, and I'm from New Zealand, which apparently is the freest country in the world. Um, I don't know if you saw that on the internet, the, 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 the most did, free country in the world. Yeah. You know, I, I did, did, uh, did you guys steal that from from one of the Scandinavian countries? Because I thought it was Norway for a while. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think it's pretty. Taken the it's, title. it's right. We've taken the title of the of the freest. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen that. Um, do you see the the meme on uh, the meme about the the freedom? Like taste my freedom. It's the American eagle. And have you seen that meme? No, no, uh, I haven't seen that. One. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, but they've done. There's a New Zealand one with this this kiwi and somebody's. <laughs> Drawn, has drawn these, which is the least frightening bird in the world, um, and it's got a. Uh, they've got these eyebrows drawn on the kiwi to make it try and look fierce, but it's, it's not fierce. So check that out if you if you'd like a uh, if you'd like a laugh. Anyway, so um, uh, here at Penny Red, we're totally opposed to um, shutting down uh, free speech. So Turkey, sort it out. That's right. We demand it. The listeners of the listener of Penny Red, my mother, demands that you. <laughs> 
Watch out. She demands. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there we go. And there's our title. Um, so <laughs> shut down in Turkey, episode 67. Um, so, uh, yeah. So uh, what else? What's been going on in the... Uh, you're much more of an RPG net, RPG news type guy than, than I am. I tend to stick to stuff like the regular news and crick info. Right, right. Uh, so... I don't like there's always stuff going on, but nothing that that like really, really sticks out to me until today. I noticed two things that I was completely unaware of. Uh, apparently, Call of Cthulhu is going into its seventh edition uh, right. and is being kickstarted. And this was the first I had heard of it today because I am that far behind the curve. Yeah, uh, I, I was. Uh, yeah, I looked at that uh, as well. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and I was I was. It uh, looks like they, they made their funding and most of their stretch goals in the first mm. three days. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Which is pretty sweet for people who like Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm one of them for sure. And I, I haven't got around to doing it yet, but um, I'm intending to back it. That's one of those games, I think, that has endearing, I'm sorry, enduring, I'm endearing as well, but enduring popularity. I don't know if it's, um, I like to think that it's to do with the, um, with the mythos, um, but I can't help feeling it's more about the, uh, and maybe we can expand on this idea, but um, a lot of, and I think I want to mention this before, but I'm fortunate to not have any firsthand um, experience with this, but people who um, have get a death sentence either from uh, the doctor or, you know, they, they've got some sort of a disease um, that they've known they've had all their life, um, you know, say it's much, not easier is not the right word, but, um, have the ability to, you know, everything is much is much clearer um, when you know how much time you've got. Um, and I wonder whether in no way the same scale, but perhaps tapping into a similar part of our brains is the idea that when you're playing Call of Cthulhu, it is a downward spiral, and you know it's a downward spiral um, right from the start. So instead of like Dungeons & Dragons, say, for example, where your object is to keep your character alive, um and Call of Cthulhu, it's the case as well. But built into the DNA of the game is this understanding that you are playing out this descent into uh, madness and or um, and or death. And I know it's cliche, but I think that when it comes to to games, um, I think embracing that cliche is fine. That's why you're playing the game, right? You're playing it with that in mind. Oh, oh, yeah, and and it it seems like that sort of thing would work much better. Uh, in a situation where you go into it with your eyes open, you—it's mm. not like you're tricked into thinking that you really have a chance. Yeah. Here, yeah. I mean, the, the whole premise is you're you're going up against things that have existed for millennia, and you are mm. insignificant in their uh, in in their their consciousness. You're little yeah. more than food. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly, yeah, and, and going in with that idea that it makes every second that you manage to stay alive or stay sane or, or however you want to uh, couch it um, just that much more more precious. And with the understanding that you could literally die at any moment, it's like one of the reasons why um, I think that you know, Game of Thrones is, um, is popular because um, quite apart from the excellent writing and the casting and that type of thing, there is no sense that, you know, they're always going to get out of it at the end. Like if you watch an episode of, you know, the Dukes of Hazard or, you know, some super cheesy American uh, 80s sort of shoot 'em up A-team type style, you know that nobody's actually going to get hurt. There's no, 
sense of tension, really. But with shows like, you know, um, uh, Game of Thrones and also, um, what's, uh, is it called Evolution or Revolution? Revolution. Uh, I am not sure. I don't have yeah. regular TV, so I never... Like, right, right. Uh, yeah, but... I think it's revolution. I was talking with somebody about this earlier on in the week, but just this idea that characters are no longer safe, you know, like yeah, yeah, somebody that's... could be killed at any moment. I think that's compelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it makes it makes the investment that much better, in my opinion, mm. uh, because almost nobody ever dies insignificantly, but but you don't yeah. know when it's going to happen or who it's going to happen to, right? Uh, which right. is which is interesting. Yeah, and with death off the table, and with you know, if death is on the table, then you know, like it, it makes it. I mean, at least for me, anyway, that's one of the reasons I enjoy playing it because I um and I haven't played it for a while, but I remember at the time thinking, you know, this is actually kind of cool. Like, there's no, I don't. I mean, I know that the the GM's not going to go easy. It's just you know, like if you die. Or something bad happens, then you die, and something bad happens. But even that part of it is the loss of sanity and stuff like that is kind of written into the story. So it's not just like, and you go crazy, so run up a new character. Like you go into your sane assignment for how long? Maybe you get out, maybe you don't get out. But it's you know, like that's all part of the, it's all part of the story, right? Like, and you, right? It's it's not really pointless in a way because from the start you know it's not going to last forever, right? Like you just you know it was. You know, the ride was good while it lasted. Yeah, exactly. Then it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm I'm excited for the uh, for the seventh edition. I was looking through my fifth. I've got a fifth edition, uh, fifth edition book. I was looking through the day and I was going, oh, well, I might I might break this out and uh, play this again before seventh comes I, I out. I think I have. I think my copy is the sixth edition, but I've I looked through it once and I've never played it. I got it for free, so. Uh, it's no, it's not an indictment on the quality of the uh, of the publication. Um, no. There was a Call of Cthulhu D twenty as well. Um, that I don't know if that seems like it would lose a whole lot of the yeah the appeal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I yeah. knew that that existed, uh, mm. but but the the conceit of D twenty, uh, like the the way the game is designed, is that it's designed so that your player characters are fairly heroic. Hmm. Uh, yeah, at least in, in my opinion, I'm sure that there were rules tweaks and whatnot, but yeah. but it seems like it, you know the uh, the the chaosium because it's running on basic role playing, right? Chaosium's kind of house, house yeah, yeah. system, but that's what yeah. they started with. That's right, it was yeah. Cthulhu. So everything kind of grew from that. Uh, I think they started with RuneQuest. I think RuneQuest is the Oh, was that the, was the, that the progenitor of that? I think, I think it's RuneQuest is the, is the one that goes ahead of that. I'm sure there's some people that are, that are screaming at the, in their car right now. <laughs> um, and just look slightly to your right if you're doing that. Uh, that person thinks you're crazy. Um, oh. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the people in the car that are screaming at their, uh, at their, their iPod saying, no, it's not RuneQuest, it's something else. Oh, good. Cause... <laughs> well, that too, but they're on your left. Right. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so check that out. Check out um, the new uh, the new Call of Cthulhu. Um, I think it'll be good. I think they've got a whole bunch of people on. But my headphones are driving me crazy, don't? Um, <laughs> the uh, I think they've got a whole bunch of people on board from the sixth edition um, as well. So I think there's people kind of carried. People have carried through. So it's not just a group of people that are kind of taking it on, you know, just because. Right. Um, 
so so yeah check that uh check that out you said there were two things uh yeah the other one it's it's another uh another new edition of a book apparently shadowrun is going into its fifth edition uh which as 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 weird of a shadowrun fan as i am i was mm. unaware of that yeah. having, having stepped away from the uh from the actual system and just looked at how can i make this work with some other rules uh well, yeah yeah i recall you saying uh in the, i think the first episode that you're on which was 22 21 i think so um and yeah i remember you just, i remember you talking um about trying to find a way to make it to make it good and you couldn't quite achieve yeah. it it's uh it's it's one of my one of my two kind of white whales uh it's it's that and, and burning empires mm. uh, but uh but yeah i i was completely unaware that uh so relatively soon after after fourth edition came out uh they're already already on right. fifth and i guess it's been five six years that since fourth came out right but uh yeah i just didn't expect it and uh people more in the know are probably like well yeah duh uh <laughs> but i was i was surprised and downloaded the uh the the current preview right uh which really doesn't have that much in it. Some character creation rules and right. uh, and setting fiction, which always makes me go, yeah. Yeah, it's like fa- yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, there's I no, it. it's not really fan fiction, but it kind of is. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, is this um, are, are game publishers trying to cash on Generation X? Is that what's going on here? That all these old games are coming out with new editions? I don't think so I, I i don't think that there's enough money in role-playing games for for new additions to to not at least be a response to to uh how how the game has progressed uh since the last edition was was written mm. uh maybe with the exception of uh wizards of the coast uh but even that i mean uh, it seemed like there was quite a bit of backlash against D&D 4th edition, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it wasn't the same game that, that anybody really knew. Like, 3rd yes. edition was recognizable as D&D after 2nd after edition. 4th edition was a completely different game. Uh, yeah. And now 5th edition, or D&D Next, whatever they're calling it, is mm. like a weird attempt to to go back to their roots. Uh, there are people who pay way more attention to that than I do. Yeah. Uh, like, I hope it does well because if D and D does well, everything else is, is yes. okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the one exception. Everything else, uh, as far as I'm concerned is, you know, relatively small companies go going. All right. You know, yeah. we, we did the experiment with the last edition. Let's yeah, see what yeah. worked, what didn't, and and you know, keep keep the game line going forward. Yeah, well, I think that that Kickstarter, um, I think the Kickstarter is a good way. I mean, I think that's going to make more role playing games uh, available than less because they can. Okay, well, let's see. Is there an, is there a sufficient interest in a new edition of? Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of something without it being a ham-fisted segue. Uh, Middle Earth role playing, say for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in, in, in a minute. But, um, but yeah, I think that that, that that's definitely going to be 
a thing for Kickstarter is that uh, games that are relatively small, we may see um, come out again, right? Like, I don't know if we're going to see Boot Hill or, or, you know, Star Frontiers or anything like that, but, you know, um, some of the more peripheral games like, um, I'm struggling to think of a good example that doesn't make it seem like a figure game company is small, but you know, with Kickstarter there, you can gauge interest before you go to press. Right, um, exactly. And I think that's going to be encouraging for people. They're like, do we really want to put out another edition of this? Because like 20 years ago, who wants to put out the extra edition of anything? Um, spend well, yeah, $25,000 $25, on a print run. Exactly, exactly. You have to put all those those costs out up front. Mm. Uh, and and my opinion on, on Kickstarters is a little weird because I really want like the lion's share of the work to be done before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it just seems like there's a whole lot less waiting at that point. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. I wonder what the line is. I've, I've seen to recall somebody on the show. I don't recall who it was, um, was talking about this, but their thing was, they thought that about 70% of the work should be done before the Kickstarter goes live. Yeah. Like it, it's, I, I, I think to the ones, uh, that are, that are legitimate successes, not, not just the stuff that's funded and, and, and gone out, uh, but things that I, I I feel like can genuinely be considered as successful. So uh, Evil Hat and pretty much everything that they've they've done on Kickstarter, they've they've been incredibly savvy about how hmm. uh, how how they've they've managed to make Kickstarter work for them. Right. Uh, but you know the uh, the Fate Core Kickstarter started out as one book, uh, and I I backed that at what the ten dollar level, which was digital copies of pretty much everything. Right. Uh, and by the time that, that they were finished uh, with the Kickstarter and all their stretch goals, like there was just a ridiculous amount of material that, that they were going to be uh, producing off of that, that one Kickstarter. Right. Uh, and it seemed like mo- I, I know most of Fate Core was already taken care of. Right. You know, it, was, it was at least in its, its sort of last sort of phase of development. Right. Uh, at that point and everything else was it, on the docket or uh you know ready to be ready to be worked on already so right uh you know they, yeah. they weren't really taking taking any risks uh right. conversely um the uh I, I just got my shipping notice for for ten rebancho zero uh right. and uh i don't i i, I feel like it was it was successful in that everything that was promised was was produced and, right. and sent out. Right. Uh, but I know that the the person in charge uh, who was, was doing the Kickstarter uh, didn't make money on it, or at least not not a significant amount of money. Like when did it finish? In, what's that? When did it finish? Uh, it finished months ago. Uh, I could I could I could take a look and get you the exact date. Uh, I'm just but, wondering, like, because I remember on a previous episode as well, you were talking about how you're waiting for a number of Kickstarters to actually show up. Um, yeah. Um, and one of the things I mentioned, I forget exactly, I mentioned this before as well, but um, I'll bring it up again, is um, that Kickstarter, the bigger the gap you leave between clo- finishing your Kickstarter and sending your stuff out, um, the more the less likely you are to make any money on it because of shipping. Yeah, right? exactly. That's something that you can't something that you can't control. And um 
there was one article I was reading about a guy who took a bath on his on his Kickstarter where he like ended up losing some crazy amount of money. Um, and I don't mean crazy in terms of, you know, my life is going to be debt for the rest of, um, you know, like I'm looking at having no money for the foreseeable future, but um, enough that they lost more than the amount of money that they made from the Kickstarter. So not only did they lose all the money that covered all their co all of their costs as they perceived it, but then they proceeded to lose that same amount again. So the enterprise cost them, you know, more yep. than they wanted to start with. You know? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure uh, that uh, Kyle Simmons, who did uh, did uh, Magicians, the, the the game that's designed to help teach uh, the Korean language right. through through play. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had to dip into his own funds in order to, to fulfill uh, shipping and probably some of the extra little yeah. bits. Uh, I know Andy, the the, the Tenra guy, uh, managed to to come out ahead, but not by much. Mm. Uh, and then and then you look at like Luke and, and Tor's uh, Torchbearer, uh, where they went completely minimal, uh, and we're yes. just like, you get the book. Yeah, uh, and you pay exactly what we would charge for the book. Yes, and anything extra is just going to make you know this one product better. Yes, uh, yeah. And that that yeah. seems like I already know that they're not going to make any money on that, but that's because those guys are insane and they price their their uh, their products way too low for the quality that they uh, yeah. that they produce. Uh, yeah. But you know they 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 make it work. It's it's going to be a successful project because. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I would say it's it's closed now. It was a successful project, yes, uh, because they're not going to have any problems delivering on on what it what it is. And uh, I yeah. think the PDF should drop this month. Right, uh, right, yeah. Well, we've we've sort of heard from you on on Torchbear already. So, right. um, so when when that's ready, then uh, let's talk about that. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, just thinking about so I. I um, I'm just not sure if I'm repeating myself, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. Anybody that's listening out there is thinking about Kickstarter. I think the that's the uh, zombie apocalypse, Sean. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> it's inevitable. Led by dogs. Um, <laughs> that's. Uh, it seems like it's good, um, but I would be really careful, I think. Um, I'd be really careful if I was um, doing a Kickstarter to have most of it done and to leave plenty of extra money for, for shipping. I know I've said that before, but I think it bears reiterating. If we want Kickstarter to be a viable way to support the games that you know, we want to see made, then you know, it's got kind of to like the golden goose type scenario, right? Like we've got to make sure that everything gets delivered on. And, right. and uh, yeah, anyway. All right, so um, for those that are um, only listening to this, um, earlier on I held up something... Uh, which was the Middle Earth? Uh, I'm putting it right in front of my face. Okay, uh, Middle Earth <laughs> role playing by J.R. Tolkien's World. Um, that's the very first um, boxed set that I got. I got it for my 14th birthday, maybe something like that. Um, anyway, so I thought that with the, the Hobbit film, and uh, I just got to thinking about Role Master, and Sean said that he hadn't had much exposure to Role Master, and I was also thinking about. Um, doing a few episodes involving sort of, I don't want to go ahead and say pivotal, but uh, uh, maybe um, good exemplars of um, 
and I so I sort of looked at Middle Earth role playing and by proxy Rollmaster as being a sort of the first of the or one of the first of the second generation um, style uh, style role playing games. So I'll give you I'll give Sean a quick breakdown there, and then we can uh, go there. So um, Rollmaster um, was my first. Uh, exposure to a game that was based on on skills and D percent and so forth. Um, and I remember at the time, uh, there were three of us there to go in on buying Rollmaster because at the time it was really expensive. This is like 1986, maybe. I know that's not the year that Rollmaster uh, came out. I think Rollmaster came out considerably earlier than that. But uh, you had to get like Arms Law, Claw Law, which was the um, which I'm holding up for people that have got this um, at, uh, got the pictures. This Arms Law, Claw Law, which was the um, sort of the fighting version of uh, Rollmaster. And you got this is a different edition. I got this for three ninety five, as you can see, because I never oh, nice. got them. Um, and uh, yeah, and then uh, Spell Law, which I thought was, was the best cover, um, and uh, Creatures and Treasures, which was a, which was a later sort of one, um, but anyway. So I remember the first, like I say, the first role master that I had contact with, which was I say is about nine eighty six. I couldn't afford to buy it, and so three of us went in on getting the box set, um, and I didn't end up with any of the books in the final and uh, the final shuffle. But it was the first game uh, that I had had where you couldn't just buy a book. Um, and then play. It was broken down into lots of different pieces. Now, um, probably a money-making decision, uh, but it came in a box set. So, to give yeah. you some idea, I think it was like I think it was eighty dollars for eighty dollars for that. And uh, you, you could get the player's guide and the dungeon master's guide for f about fifty-five or sixty. So. Um, in comparison to Dungeons and Dragons, it was uh, it was a lot more expensive. So, so anyway, um, all right. So, Rollmaster, like I say, was the first one that was based on skills. So instead of just saying I'm going to be a fighter and as a fighter I'm going to be able to do this, that, and the other thing, um, it had lots of uh, it had lots of tables um, where you could break down you know all sorts of different things and making a character. The first thing about it is that making a character took a really long time. Right. A really really long time there were lots of you had to bonus for this for this this skill uh, sorry a bonus for your class a bonus for your race a bon and all kinds of different bonuses but the essential difference between this and dungeons and dragons was it was a lot more um going for a lot more i suppose more simulation okay lot, so um to talk about the, the level of simulation, Arms Law Claw Law, which again I'm holding up for those listening at home, um, you could go into all sorts of different weapons. So, um, so for example, you could have a falchion, you can have a hand axe, a scimitar, a main gauche, a rapier, a broadsword, you know, and the list goes on. Um, and each individual one of those uh, weapons has a, a, a massive table um, of results that you would uh, that you would roll so that's the last picture i'll show for people at home but anyway um so yeah so frighteningly small text it is frighteningly <laughs> small text and it's a book full of it's a book full of um of weapons that was the first difference so instead of just saying you've got a broadsword um and the damage is 1d8 say for example what you actually have is you have a broadsword and you'd roll uh your dice um against the armor class of the person that you're fighting 
Um, and the armor class, uh, armor rating, I think it was actually, goes from 20 to 1. 1 being, um, uh, I think, having... Uh, I can't even remember how it goes now exactly. But basically, the more armor you wore, the more likely you were to get hit, but the less likely you were to get hurt. So. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was the that was the first major difference was that everything was broken down into very very fine detail. Um, so, like I say, instead of just being one to eight for a broadsword, you discover whether you hack somebody's limb off or you. So combat was brutal and short. Um, <laughs> that was the first thing. So it was much more difficult to keep people alive if you're the dungeon master. I mean, if that's the sort of way that you like to do it, then it was if uh, then it was in Dungeons and Dragons, like because you couldn't. Uh, there's no way you could get you could no way you could figure out which way the dice were going to go. Now, if you hold your, hide your dice all together, then um, then you know then, then there's not really much point in um, in worrying about that. But if you wanted to roll in the open or or you wanted to be upfront with with what was going on, then the chance of killing a PC was was pretty good. Um, that's uh that's that's interesting to compare that to uh to D D because uh it was it was a little different in in advanced dungeons and dragons but like the 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 basic rules the red box and the and the mold mm. uh, basic and expert sets uh you learn the game by dying repeatedly yeah yeah uh, because it doesn't take very long to make a character right, uh, right. so when when fighter number one uh, dies, then you roll your your stuff yes. up and play, you know, thief number sixty four, mm. uh, and and hope that when you go into the dungeon this time, uh, you'll right. think a little bit better. Uh, right. But part of that as well is that there's not much emphasis on uh, like backstory for the characters, right? Like, it's like losing a character, you're not really losing, you know, you're not necessarily losing that much. Right, yeah, but, well, because uh, because the the characters that survive are the ones that you make make connections with. Is that like kind of the opposite in in Rollmaster, where they were like, "No, we want you to care about your character." And well, then... that's the thing. Not really. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of emphasis on character background when I mean there was a lot of information on, and we'll talk a bit more about Middle Earth in a minute. But in role, sort of basic Rollmaster, there wasn't a lot a lot of emphasis placed on. On character and so that was one of the things that I found really challenging about Rollmaster is the amount of time it took to write up a character, as compared with their life expectancy. Right, if you're playing it hard out, then it was you know then it's hard to justify that because one thing that I hate about most role playing games, or I hated about most role playing games, was the amount of time it took to make the character before you could actually get started playing. I just wanted to play. And I right. don't want to spend two hours doing it. So Rollmaster was a tough sell in that respect. The criticals were uh, were, were good. Like uh, like what would happen is if you if you rolled uh, a dice, uh, if you rolled and you hit, you get a certain type of critical, and then depending on the type of critical you got. So for example, if you got a, a D slashing critical and you rolled a um, a roll of sixty six, for example, you knock your foe out for six hours with a strike to the side of his head. Plus 15 hits. If foe has no helm, you kill him instantly or her instantly. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah, that's on a 66 on a, on, a, on a D100. But the reason I read that was because now um, you actually had to account for all the different types of armor you were wearing. So not only were you wearing plate armor, but were you wearing a helmet? 
was the helmet made of metal or was the helmet made of leather? If the helmet's made of leather, then you may survive some electrical strikes from uh, wizards. But if your helmet is made of metal, then you won't survive that same strike from a wizard, right? And if you're wearing no helmet at all, then you're just as well off as you are with a metal helmet. So that's a sort of level of simulation and quote-unquote realism that, that they were going for. But, um, yeah, it's there's... You know, there's just no there's no accounting for what's going to happen from one moment to the next, right? Like, everything could be fine, and the next minute, you know, strike to foe's groin area, plus 10 hits, all vitals are destroyed immediately. Foe is stunned and unable to parry for the next 12 rounds, which basically means they're just standing there while you're chopping down like a tree, right? Like <laughs> right. It can, it goes from, you know, it goes from going really well to going terribly, you know, in, in one moment. And although that may be realistic, I think that a, a system like that um, you, it just seems wrong to marry that with, you know, two hours it takes to, to roll up a character, right? I mean, unless you're just going to take the name and rub it off and write a new name in there, then it's right. really like making up characters. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, you, you, you read that and, and talk about some of the, uh, some of the stuff. And uh, like, as, as most of your the listeners know, I'm, I'm the, uh, the burning wheel bigot here. Uh, and, and a lot of that stuff, like, is in Burning Wheel. Like, you do have to pay attention to, you know, what, you know, am I wearing a helmet, you know, because uh, you can do things like piecemeal armor and whatnot. Mm. Uh, but to, to, to balance out, oh, and, and combat can easily be uh, that kind of, uh, kind of brutal. Like, mm. things will be going really well for you one minute and then, uh, you'll you'll script poorly or roll poorly, and suddenly uh, you're you've gotten injured and have failed some kind of uh, your steel test, and yeah. are standing there, you know, dumbfounded. Uh, but they balance that out by making it very difficult to kill your character. Right. Uh, it's it's not impossible, but you are more likely to be horribly injured and out of a fight. Uh, yes. And possibly out of commission for for a while while you heal up, mm. but you're not dead, uh, right? You know, and and like you were saying, you know, I I like games where you have to spend a bit of time making your character uh, at the beginning. Uh, but but you're right. If you if you just you know get into a fight, somebody rolls really well, and you realize, yeah. oh, my first level character couldn't afford a uh, a helmet, and I just got completely pummeled by a yeah, critical yeah. hit and now I'm yep. dead. Yes. Uh, that would be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it in a lot of ways it there's a disincentive to put any emphasis into your um into your character development um for that. Um but at the same time I wonder just joining that back to what we were talking about with Call of Cthulhu where with Call of Cthulhu, depending on what happens, you could tell a cool story, right? Like right. chances are, if you're going to get killed, it's going to there's going to be some sort of cool story involved. Um, but in this, it could just be like you're fighting a giant rat, and the giant rat, you know, bites your knob off and you die. You know, like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, because I mean there are there's criticals for tiny animals. There's actually literally a, a critical table for tiny animals in here. <laughs> Like critical strikes for tiny animals, um, yeah, just yeah, just 
anyway yeah. um, well there's there's no it's no fun going out like a chump like it's yeah, yeah. it's okay going out yeah yeah uh, as long as you're you know you're struggling but yeah just you know i walked in and uh you know rat got a lucky lucky strike to my throat yeah yeah it's like uh, the, the, the it's just the rabbit and monty python's holy grail right like it's just yeah it just bites you bites your head off and then and then it's it um, whereas in call of cthulhu first of all it doesn't take as long to make a character that's one thing that's that's different but also it's kind of like um and then i've you know i've read the book and i summoned a great old one and he just and he ate me right like it's a it's a it's a kind of a cool story right to summon a great old one or whatever it might happen to be but but the point is that in that game um in order to be able to tell a cool story, you need to have a little bit of character background. Like my guy was a this, and he did that, and he did this, and he did that. And then the next thing you know, he'd read a book, and then something bad happened. But you've got a cool story, right? You've got a guy who's got a backstory. There's an arc, whereas in Rollmaster, say, for example, or games similar to that where you can die at the drop of a hat, you know, you don't – you've got a guy – and he's born in, in like he's a Dunedan or whatever it might happen to be. And you make this character and he goes into a crypt or he goes outside. There's a troll there and a troll turns him into a paste, which I think is one of the critical hits that a giant creature can get. Um, and that's it, right? It's not a cool, it's not really a cool story, right? There's no... Well, yeah, because I mean... Narrative in, impact. In, in something like Cthulhu, if, even if you, you get all the way through and you, your story ends with, and then I read a book and summon an old one, uh, and saw it and went absolutely insane mm. uh, and spent the rest of my days in a mental institution. Mm. Uh, there was probably some lead up to that. Like, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. not, it's, yep. it's not like you're like, all right, we start the adventure and first thing you do is find a book and Oh, look, it's a mythos tome. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're crazy. Yep. Uh, yep. As opposed to any kind of adventure, like yep. fantasy adventure game where, yeah. you know, you start out and then, Oh, and you hear about some crypt, and you walk into a crypt, and there's an orc in there, and it stabs yeah. you in the face, and oh, I rolled really, really well. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're doing, and even in Dungeons and Dragons, it's a grind down sort of thing. You've got that ability to pull back when things are getting bad, but in a game like Rollmaster, it's just it can be over in one shot. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's just it, you know, like you've got a brand new character the next it's kinda of like uh, you know, in Gladiator where he has that first fight, those guys go through the door and then that picked or whatever, whoever he is, you know, gets his, his head stoved in with the first blow and then that's it, or or some of that terrible footage from um from saving Private Ryan when they put when the boats are coming onto the beach, right? And oh, some yeah. of them just lined up perfectly with a machine gun. It's just like shooting fish in a barrel and that's it, it's all over and I like it's Yeah. Well just, yeah. I mean real war is a terrible thing, and I'm not trying to I'm trying to sort of juxtapose that with losing a character in a role-playing game but um if there was going to be any parallel it's kind of like you know you've got this build-up and then and then it's just all over just like that yeah and exactly just I mean, perniciousness you, of, of fate yeah you don't want your game to be you yeah. playing that guy that gets that gets uh splattered by the uh by the 50 cal jumping on the beach that, that's right. right. You're not not straight away, right? And that's um, and and then maybe that's a good comparison to make. In as much as real life can suck, and oh yeah, you can you can go to walk across the road and a piano like uh, a friend of mine and a friend of mine, my cousin's friend was uh, was killed a couple of like I think it might be six months ago now. Just just a freak random accident walk. Along, something dropped on her head and killed her. Oh. Um, and 
and, and just stuff like that can happen. And, and I think that part of playing a game is as much as, you know, some, some people like to, um, they play close to, to type or they want to work through some kind of issues or whatever. My feeling um, is that I don't want to be as random and brutal and everything as real life, you know, and, and, and for me, as interesting as it was reading some of those critical tables, it's not a fate that I wanted to entertain. Like just as I knew it's really fun to, uh, to destroy a troll with one shot, equally the troll could destroy me with, with one shot. And that's not, wasn't really a risk I was pre- prepared to prepared to take. Yeah. So Yeah. That, uh, that a lot of that, like, it seems like it would be amusing to read, but unfun in practice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like for uh, so now moving on to uh, to Middle Earth. So Rollmaster, there were one, two, three. There are at least four books, four core books that you should have needed in order to be able to. Uh, that's the zombie that is dogs. The zombie dogs. My dogs are assholes. Um, one second. I think Sean has muted his microphone, so I shall talk for our uh, for our benefit here. Um, sorry, sorry, I was I was texting my wife to see if she'd call the dogs in, uh, but, um, but she did. So, so anyway, so you got to buy these four books anyway. So instead of that, um, and this is what I got for like I say for my four, I got uh, Middle Earth role playing. Now, Middle Earth role playing is based on Rollmaster. There's no there's no two ways about it. It's the same sort of idea, but I'll, but stripped down. So it still took a while to make a character, um, but not as long. Um, the combat system, uh, well, let me tell you, the Middle-Earth role-playing in the edition that I have, which I think is the first edition, um, soft cover, uh, 104 pages. Um, Arms Law Claw Law, which is the fighting book for Rollmaster, 72. Uh, Creatures and Treasures, uh, you could argue it's not super essential, but not about a hundred, um, a hundred again for spells and just for character law and campaign law, hundred and thirty-ish. So about five hundred pages worth of uh, of stuff there. Right. Um, and you get to, for my money, a Middle Earth role playing was as good, if not better, um, value. Didn't get all of the details, which some of them I found were were um were not super essential so when i got middle earth um i love uh, i loved it so instead of there being a um instead of there being a, a table for every single weapon there were just a few smaller tables um but uh that same sort of brutality so for example let's say you're doing a moving maneuver which is how you would say like my character's going to try and sneak up on um trying to sneak up on a a, a tower let's say for example um, okay. you've got a, you've got a movement score, which is based upon the army you've got on your dexterity or agility or whatever it was. Um, then you'd roll on that and then it would tell you how successful you were by a number of percent. Like you managed to get all of the stuff done. You get all of your movement done and then some and, and all that sort of thing. But, uh, but even so still brutal. So for example, if you're doing a, uh, if you're doing a moving maneuver, um, when it came to, um, like, let's say, like I say, you're sneaking up on a building, then, if I can find my uh, moving maneuver here, uh, you could die just doing something really, really yeah. simple, like trying to just hop over a wall or something like that. Like if you roll badly enough, um, the target re the sorry the 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 description reads, uh, you fall, 
your fall turns into a dive, you crush your skull and die. Um, <laughs> just from just from jumping just from jumping over a wall. Now, um, anybody who knows the rules well will know that I'm embellishing slightly in as much as if it's super simple, then the chances of you rolling that badly on yourself are pretty minimal, but still um, but still possible. Right. Um, and so and a lot of not and in some ways that made you much more reticent to try anything. You know, it's like analysis paralysis sort of yeah, scenario it, where if I do the least little thing, then there's the possibility that just through the perniciousness of fate, I could be killed. Yeah, uh, uh, that's uh, so one, one of the uh, one of the things that drives me nuts in pretty much every role playing game uh, is is risk aversion by the players. Right. Mm, yeah, uh, I, I the, the games that I like are the games where where people are encouraged and rewarded for for trying stuff even if it's something that is completely outside their their realm of expertise or even uh, uh you know abilities under normal circumstances there's always a chance that you can succeed or even trying and failing is interesting yes uh, but yeah, exactly yeah but but man having that having that uh <laughs> looming over your head that you know yeah it's not likely that i'll roll this shitty uh but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. And I could be having a really bad day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's it just like you say that that a risk aversion um, because of things that you can roll is uh, yeah is I think that's anathema to the whole idea of playing, right? And I think that having that in there, um, I think it just I mean people probably I mean people love must have loved it because there are plenty of that made plenty of money. But um, so that's sort of. So if I'm going to wrap up the the system in a um, in a nutshell, um, basically, the rollmaster system went for an additional level of um, an additional level of uh, simulation, um, but the downside of that additional level of simulation was that you need to accept that if combat was being quote unquote real, then there's a possibility that one good strike could in the combat not just for you though but for your enemy as well so right. that that risk aversion you talked about like doing anything there's the possibility that you might end up dying um and then combining that with the amount of time it takes to make a character and uh, made it even more likely that you're going to be risk averse yeah absolutely and yeah so i don't i don't no, for me anyway, I, I don't feel that it was, didn't feel that it was, the role master wasn't a success for me. Um, but I would say that Middle Earth, because it took less time to make a character um, and playing in Middle Earth is cool, um, there are some really neat things in there, the way that they figured um, social interactions was cool. There's a table of social interactions, um, which up until that point, there'd be no, like in Dungeons and Dragons, for example, at least not that I was aware of, you know, you had charisma, you got pluses to reactions, but no, um, no real, um, no way to determine how successfully uh, you uh, influenced people. So, uh, right. so for example, you've got um, interaction influence, um, you've got, and you've got general. So for example, uh, uh, 
all right so if you're trying to talk to somebody and get them to uh, to tell you where i don't know tell you something about say the the lord of the man or something like that um you can if you roll badly enough uh, you'll fail but if you roll part you know, quite well then they'll then they'll maybe keep talking to you then you can roll again um if you roll super well then i'll tell you perhaps more than they uh, than they perhaps should have the sort of detail on an aspect of the game that received no not even lip service at least that i was aware of in dungeons and dragons so um in terms of advancements extra simulation extra detail on simulation but it introduced the idea of social roles right which right. i wasn't aware of in dungeons and dragons or if, if they were in there i didn't perhaps read carefully enough no uh you're you're, you're right in in D &D, uh the the uh charisma uh is number one an incredibly important stat uh but what it what its function was was to, to uh sort of determine the the initial uh sort of the starting state of your encounter with with a creature so you know you'd walk in you know roll some hobgoblins on a random uh you know wandering monster check and then you'd check your uh your reaction to see like what the starting disposition was right. uh, and then modify that by whoever, uh, whoever's charisma happened to be uh, the most right. appropriate right. Right. to deal with. And that would, that would kind of start like, okay, this is where your, your interaction is coming from. Like right. they're hostile or they're, they're not overly hostile, but wary. What are you yes. going to do? Right. Uh, right. As opposed to it being like a mechanized, uh, mm. mechanized thing like that, or later on, things like burning uh burning wheels duel of wits or or uh, yes. social conflicts in in fate right right and i think that that was i think that that probably um i, I can't it certainly didn't apply to me but i wonder if it applied to other people where they were kind of like oh this is cool this is a game where i don't just have only i don't have one way to interact with something that's to eat well two ways i can either kill it um or i can i can run away from it because unless it's a human chances are you're not going to be able to, to to talk with it now. I'm sure that there are plenty of people that that did work that into the game, but that wasn't something that was um, that certainly wasn't something that ever occurred to me. That you know, like I've got to kill it or I'm going to run away from it. That's really all that I can do. But but Middle Earth or at least Rollmaster introduced this idea of social interactions, which up until that point had never been uh, mechanized. But Anyway, moving on to one extra thing about um, Middle Earth and, and how if you uh, keep your eyes about you, um, you might be able to find some um, of these online. But the, the supplements for Middle Earth were excellent, um, or are excellent anyway. If you, regardless of what way you want to go into playing a, a Lord of the Rings style game, I think you'd be hard pressed to find these supplements better than the supplements you could get uh, that were associated with... Um, with Middle Earth. Now, the ones that there are were Bree and the Barrow Downs, uh, Witch King of Angmar, uh, Umbar, uh, Mirkwood, Isengard, uh, Ardor, there's Shelob's Lair. Um, there are lots of, uh, lots of supplements, which if you were going to sort of run a Lord of the Rings style game, um, would be very valuable um, if you get hold of them. There are a number of PDFs online if you don't feel um if you can't get a hold of the secondhand book now i'm i mean being an author um i'm not excited by the idea of people downloading stuff for free but i wonder what the what the feeling is 
um, about stuff that's no longer in print that you can't get a hold of. Um, and, and just connecting it back in with um, before you uh, with uh, Call of Cthulhu, there's like you can't get things made for that first edition Call of Cthulhu, at least not that I'm aware of. But there's a, a, a supplement that I'd really like to get hold of, but I can't justify spending over a hundred bucks on um, Beyond the Mountains of the Moon. I think it's called, or Beyond the Something or the Mountains. Huh. So I'm not sure. Because I've got I've got the marks of Nilathotep, which is routinely said to be the best Call of Cthulhu. I'd like to get some more actual Call of Cthulhu books, but that one I can't justify spending a hundred bucks on. So I don't. I think you can get the PDF now through um, through Iron Crown. Not sorry, not Iron Crown. Through um, I've forgotten the name of the who is it? Uh, Chaosium. Yeah, through Chaosium you can get the PDF. So that's not a problem. Uh, for me, I can get the PDF, um, but I don't know of anywhere that you can legitimately get a hold of um, the Lord of the Rings supplements that were released in conjunction with with me. Sorry, I cut you off for sure. What are you? What are your feelings on that? Uh, it's it's kind of a toss up. Uh, I I feel like if something is no longer in print uh, mm. and and it's no longer available. Um, I, you know, the, the, the publisher has every right to, to no longer print something for, for whatever reason that yes. they, they feel like, uh, on the other hand, uh, I kind of feel like it's, uh, you know, if, if somebody has something that is, uh, that is out of print, uh, preserving that in a, in a way, uh, that still makes it accessible is almost a duty. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it's illegal, uh, yes. yeah, no because question. it's, you know, violation of copyright and, and mm. whatnot. Uh, I do, however, think that, that making those, uh, making those old things available is, uh, uh, despite being illegal is, is in my opinion, fairly, fairly ethical. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's not there. Uh, the whole subject of piracy is, is one that's that's weird and nobody really knows uh, you know what what kind of like actual effect it has and, yeah. and that's functionally what we're what we're talking about. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And and you know there's there's plenty of, of evidence uh, that shows that you know that's it's not going to affect the the bottom line of, of the producer in any significant way mm. uh and there's several modern uh game companies uh the uh what is it post-human studios uh that that does eclipse phase uh, right yep yep you know they they put their stuff up on uh on BitTorrent themselves yes uh i might i have not read it but i do have a copy of eclipse phase sitting on my hard drive because they made it available to me yeah, uh it's right. probably not a game i will ever purchase uh, but it was nice of them to do that. I know uh, uh, Fred Hicks has, has said, you know, go ahead, download uh, Fake Core, and if you like it, you know, go buy a copy later. Right, right. Um, you know, if I, I would, I would prefer if if there was a way for to to get it and and pay for it and yes. uh, you know let let Iron Crown get their get their money yep. for it, yep. like that that would be. That would be preferable to me. Yes, 
Yeah, I'm, even... I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, if it's, that's, that's the thing. If there's no way that you can legitimately get a hold of something, um, and I'm not talking about, there's no way that I can get a hold of, um, you know, the Hope Diamond, so it's okay for me to go and steal it. Now, I'm, I, I can't, there's not only one of them. We're talking about a digital version of something. So I'm not, I'm not denying it to anybody else. Right. Exactly. I'm also not, I'm not denying anybody any money because there is literally nobody that I can buy it off. I mean, if I wanted to buy it, the only way I could do that is by buying a secondhand version of a, um, of a book, because I don't think the PDFs leave. I don't think the PDFs leave themselves even exist. Um, I'll have, I'd have to investigate that for sure. I could be wrong, but people have taken it, photocopied it and turned it into a PDF or taken it, maybe cut it, put it into the photocopier and had the photocopier turn it into a PDF. But um, I don't even know if you can buy a PDF of some of those books. Yeah. But let's yeah. just pr- – go ahead. Uh, I, I, and I was going to say that's uh, that's a shame. I think uh, one of the one of the greatest things that, that Wizards of the Coast did was they made a whole bunch of their, their old out-of-print material uh, into PDFs and then sold them uh, – Things like mold AD and D and a bunch of second edition stuff, and I think that's uh, that's really good. And uh, I'm you know good on them for for putting that stuff out in a way that benefited both people who wanted to collect that stuff and uh, and the, the the rights holder. Uh, mm. It would be nice if Iron Crown did did the same thing for yeah, some yeah. Of that old material. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's just like I say, I don't want to necessarily say that it's not. It's not legitimately available as PDF, but in my brief bit of research, I didn't find uh, any way that I could purchase a PDF. I haven't gone ahead and downloaded anything yet, but um, if I was, I'd use uh, Entitle Index of um, to look for something like that. But um, those, but yeah, if you can get hold of those modules uh, by hook or by crook, uh, regardless of the system you're going to use to run Middle Earth, and I think that there are plenty of systems out there that are that are good, but I think probably if I was going to play them, I probably would use Middle Earth role playing only because um, of my like nostalgia for me. But right. um, I think I would use the supplements, but maybe with a different system if I wanted to create sort of a heroic game where I wouldn't go as far as to say the death was taken off the table, but the chances of you being killed by a giant rat are um, <laughs> you know, like uh, are minimized, you know, like senseless. And we've talked about this before lots of times, you know, senseless, meaningless, random death is uh, for, um, you know, is hopefully something that nobody has to deal with in a role-playing game, let alone in, in real life. But Right. Uh, unless that's, unless that's a feature of play and not sure you know, the, the, the meat grinder of, of some of mm. uh, some of the games like that's 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 part of play but that's like i said usually balanced out by you know easily replaceable characters right uh i, I was gonna ask a question i know we've been, yes. we've been going for a while but uh oh that's fine no hurry. hopefully it won't take too long i was gonna ask like how well did it do at being a middle earth game because uh, uh, i know that a lot of those old games were like well, you just slap some proper nouns on the stuff that we already have, and mm. bam, you got it. Like they did everything as a setting, uh, a setting supplement rather than than actually like 
working to make sure that the mechanics match the the, the, the feel of, of the source material. Mm. Uh, for me, uh, I think it was, I think it was evocative. The little bits of story that they wrote that went along with it. And keep in mind that, um, that the, that Middle Earth role-playing is not set at the time of the War of the Ring. It's set slightly before that, I think. Um, because you've got the Witch King of Angmar as one of the stories. But, I mean, there's no reason you couldn't play during, you know, the time of the ring. But it was slightly before that. But um, I found the art in it. I mean, and the art, I think, is all open source art. Like, it's all sort of, uh, yeah, it's all old. Very little art in it at all, looking at it now. And there are a few drawings. But, you know, I found the art somewhat evocative. I found the examples of... Um, combat and what was going on in the um in the game i found it quite uh found it quite evocative um so from a personal perspective um i would say that in terms of getting the feeling of playing um in middle earth um i think that it um i think it wasn't a stretch I, it didn't feel generic to me it felt like that was a game written for somebody to play a game in, uh, in middle earth because it was it's uh, low magic so it's not like everything is amazingly magicful and you know everybody's casting spells left and right magic uses are pretty weak not not as weak as um not as weak as in dungeons and dragons say for example but um certainly not as not super powerful uh, but there were no silly restrictions on what they could and couldn't do. Um, like a magic user can't swing a sword. Why not? Why can't a magic user swing a sword? Doesn't that, that is a good question. I don't know why a magic user can't swing a sword. Yeah, I mean, if you can pick it up, you can swing it, right? <laughs> That's right. You can't. I mean, why can't a magic user fire a bow? Why, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, that sort of thing was important. To me, because you could actually be, I mean, you couldn't be Gandalf, but, you know, like you could be Gandalf, um, theoretically, you could be a magic user, you know, that was swinging a sword or firing a bow or, or something like that. So, for me, I thought that it was successful. The the examples of combat and the little bits of fiction there were evocative of it, um, and certainly more so than Rollmaster, but I think the main advantage that Middle-earth had was that there was a lot of really great um, modules um, I call them modules, but they're sort of halfway between source book and module because there were some bits that were moduli and some bits that were just sort of like, this is kind of what the area is, is like. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's hard for me to separate what I could have accomplished with just the book as opposed to the book and the various supplements you could get. Um, but, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I say uh, I say goodbye. If you get a hold of Middle Earth, I think you'll. Uh, I mean, I've got the first edition. I can't speak for any subsequent edition because I know there were actually hardcover versions of the stuff that came afterwards. So I don't know if it got padded out and it didn't feel as good. But for the first edition, the soft, which strangely enough was a soft cover red book, um, was good, really good. Nice. Um, so so yeah. So anybody that hasn't checked out Rollmaster and wants to see one of the sort of second verse, uh, second generation role-playing games where it's sort of skill-based um, and there's a lot more, well, quote-unquote realism, then, uh, then give it a go. But uh, enjoy some of the reading of the, the critical outcomes. 
Because um, if nothing else, they're amusing. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Your death will be amusing. That's um, right. It may be quick, uh, but it will be amusing. Um, and it won't take as long for you to create a character if you choose to go the Middle Earth route. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think we can put a bow on it there, Sean. I think that nice. uh, next time maybe we can go with a uh, with a game you know something about that I don't know anything about, like. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I've been. I've been considering. Uh, the, the the stuff on my on my shelf. Uh, sure. I'm I'm looking at Earth Dawn. I don't know how much how much you know. About I don't know that. anything about it. I remember seeing the book, and I remember people complained that it fell apart very easily. So um, <laughs> that's all that I know about Earth Dawn is that the book falls apart and uh, and uh, that it was expensive. Um, uh, that's that's funny. I've still got a first edition uh, Earth Dawn book over here. Uh, it hasn't fallen apart yet. So. There you go. So maybe just the people that I knew weren't very careful with it. Or alternatively, um, maybe the textbooks were not, or the, sorry, the book was not bound as, as nicely for the international version or something. I was, I was going to say there, there, there could have been multiple printings or something mm. uh, where they had crappy binding, uh, but that's not uncommon in, in soft cover books anyway. Mm. Uh, so mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't discount that. Uh, but yeah, maybe, uh, maybe next time I will, I will give that a quick read through and, yep. and then, uh, and then we'll talk about it because there's some cool stuff in there. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, then until uh, next week, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And until next week, keep talking the walk. <laughs>